0: It's a piece of paper that you, it's a petition. But when you make a petition, you're urgent about it, usually. So the question is, why should we ask God for our needs when he already knows them? You know, people who are, are fairly new Christians and kind of growing in the Lord will often say, when I, when I get married to my husband, he hadn't been a Christian a really long time. And um, he really did believe in prayer and that. But he asked me one day, he said, If God knows everything because he's omniscient, why do I have to ask him for what I need if he already knows what I need? And he's all-powerful. And so I thought that was a good place to start. And I'm using a quote by Jack Hayford out of a comment that he made on prayer and intercession. He says, God's power alone can change things and bring heaven's rule instead of earth's rule. And honor and glory for prayer's answer are God's. However, the praying is ours to do. Unless we ask for intervention of his kingdom and obey his prayer lessons, nothing will change. All kingdom ministry begins with, is sustained by, and will triumph through prayer. So prayer is a necessity in our life. And asking God for what we want and what we need is kind of the foundation of that. We are told over and over to do that. Um, if you went through the, the Bible and tried to list every time it makes reference to a prayer position, p- petition, you would probably have almost the whole Bible, because in every book of the Bible, it, it shows that we're to ask for things. I just listed a couple in Psalms. Psalms 54.2 says, hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. And Psalms 55.1 says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. A supplication is to ask humbly and earnestly. So what the psalmist is saying is, don't hide yourself from my earnest, humble prayer. When I come to you and I'm asking you earnestly and all humility, throwing myself before you, don't walk away from me, God. Hear me. And Jesus, who, you know, is the best example we've got, um, models how to pray. The disciples came to him, having seen him commune with the Father, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Tell us how to pray, Jesus. And so it's the Lord's Prayer. We all know it. I'm going to use the version in Luke 11, 2 to 4. And it says, our Father in heaven, we're supposed to acknowledge who God is. Who's God in your life? He's the creator. He's the father. He's above all. Hallowed be thy name, meaning holy is your name. It's praise and adoration. We're, we're coming to him in that humility. We're coming to him saying, I know that everything is wrapped up in you. And it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's surrender. I'm surrendering my will, I'm surrendering my plan. I'm surrendering my desire to him because I want whatever he wants from heaven to rule on earth. So I'm saying I give up what I want. I give it up to you. Then he goes in to give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And those are all prayers of petition. So in teaching the disciples how to pray, he said you need to ask The first one is give us our daily bread. He's telling us to pray for what we need. You know, we pray for the money to buy the food we feed our family, to pay our bills, the job that we need to earn the money, the necessities of life. He's telling us, I want you to ask me for what you need every day. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we forgive people who've sinned against us. Now, that's the one with the little hook in it, because we we often say, Lord, forgive me. But, you know, it's all tied into how do we forgive people that have wronged us. We're supposed to forgive people who have wronged us in the same manner we expect God to forgive us. It's all part of that petition. And then don't lead me into temptation. But if I end up there, (laughs) deliver me from the evil one. (laughs) Often we get ourselves into the temptation. We kind of walk over all by ourselves. But it's good to know that, that God tells us he can get us out. So Jesus himself, there's an example, many examples, but there's one of him earnestly asking the Father to intercede. And it's in Mark 14, 32 to 36. And it's Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just before he was taken by the soldiers, just before he was beaten and then crucified, he took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he prayed. And because we, we probably all read it and know the story, I wanted to read it out of the message because I thought it put a kind of a little a good way to say it. It says, They came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony, and he told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep Virgil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell to the ground and he prayed for a way out. He said, Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me. But please, not what I want, but what you want. Have you ever felt like that in your life? None of us have ever probably faced that. You know, we've never faced crucifixion, maybe death, but from an illness or that. But have you ever felt total despair? Have you ever felt like, I just don't know what I'm going to do? This is beyond anything I can figure out. And and for me, that's really, I'm one of those people who tries to figure out everything. So the first place I go is, okay, what can I do? And and that's not the best place to go with your prayer life. So, But we've been there when you're about to lose it all. Jesus was about to lose his life. But, you know, Often we're about to lose our finances. We're about to lose someone we love. We're about to lose things, our kid who's spinning out of control. And we feel that agony. And Jesus, that's what he's saying. He's saying, You can do this, God. Father, you can do this, can't you? Have you ever said that? I have. I've said, Well, God, you, why can't you just do this? You know? But then the next thing that I really want us to see is in the middle of his petition, in the middle of his agony, he said, take this cup away from me, but please, not what I want, what you want. When we read it in the King James, it says, you know, not my will, but thine be done. That always sounds so really up there, you know, very, very spiritual. But I kind of like the way this put it, because what he's saying is down on our level. Not what I want. I know what I want, but I want to want what you want. So that's what, that's what he's saying, and that's what we should be saying, is I want to want what you want. I don't want to just say, oh, well. I want to want what you want. The first century church went through, I mean, they prayed all kinds of prayers of petition, and we're just going to kind of share one of them. It's in Acts four twenty nine to thirty one, and Peter and John had been out in Jerusalem doing exactly what they were told to do. When Jesus left to ascend to heaven, he told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody, making disciples of everyone, and proclaiming his name, to heal the sick, to pray for deliverance, and, that's, and start in Jerusalem. And they were in Jerusalem and they were starting. And the, the Pharisees and that, they didn't particularly like this. And so the temple people grabbed them and beat them up. And then they told them, they said, don't do this anymore. <laughs> no more talking about Jesus. We don't want you to do that. And if you do it, it's going to be worse. So do not do this. So then Peter and John left and they went back to their church family. And this is the prayer that they prayed. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God in boldness. They knew that they were doing what God told them to do. They knew that they were doing it. And so instead of praying to be delivered, which is sometimes where we first want to go when we hit a trial. Instead of praying that, you know, Caiaphas's house would burn down and that, you know, all this would go away, they prayed that they would be allowed to do what they knew they were supposed to do even better than they were doing it, with more boldness. And that's the secret of praying for boldness and in boldness. They prayed knowing what God wanted, that they would be able to want what he wanted even though it meant they might be beaten. And Paul tells us many times to quit worrying. You know, if we had like five bucks for every time the Bible tells us not to worry or be afraid or be anxious, we would have so much money we could like pay off the entire church property, have tons of money for outreaches and missions, and, you know, be set. Because, and why do you, it tells us that all the time, to not be anxious, to not worry, don't be afraid, Because what's the first place we go to when we're faced with something? Anxiety, worry, fear. (laughs) We all do it. We're people. We're human. We do that. And the Lord knew. God knew we were going to do that. So throughout his whole word, he says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. So in Philippians 4, 6, Paul tells us. He says, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. But in everything, by prayer, and here's that word again, supplication, by earnest, humble prayer, uh, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. We probably, most of us in there have probably learned that verse. It's an off-quoted verse. (laughs) But, you know, if you really look at it, It really tells us some of the things that I know in my life I don't always practice. It says, one, be anxious for nothing. (laughs) And to come earnestly before God, remembering what he's done. Thanksgiving means you have to thank him for something. You have to thank him for what he's done. He's already taken you through tough times. He's already delivered you. At least more than once. And so, if we remember what he's done and we thank him for it, we put that in our mind. And then we make our request to him. And it says, The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Where does fear come from? Your mind. All those things Rosie was talking about, about running through your mind, it wasn't just hers. We all do that. We get anxious, we get afraid. And our mind plays it over and over and over. We, we get, you know, bitter about things. The conversation we had with somebody that didn't go well, how many times do we repeat that in our mind? You know, we, <laughs> we do that. And he tells us not to do that. And so, it, because peace and anxiety can't exist together. The peace of God and the anxiety we feel as people can't cohabitate the mind. And then the next verse really tells us what we're supposed to fill our mind with. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these. All of those things are god characteristics all of those things are god characteristics and meditate means to ponder it doesn't mean to go oh yeah i had a really good day yesterday and then walk off it means you take it in and you let it play in your mind you let the fact that god is good that god answers prayer that god said if i ask that god has delivered me you do all of that and then you can't be anxious Because there's no room in your mind for anxiety. And so that looks really easy, doesn't it? And it, it is, if you just take that and don't weave ourselves into it. So why do we struggle with asking for what we need and want? Why are there thousands of books written about how to get prayers answered? Why are there whole... Ministries and lecture circuits and that on how to get your prayer answered. Because sometimes we pray and, you know, and nothing happens. And why doesn't it? Sometimes I think we stop praying too soon. <laughs> I really do. I, I think that's true in my life. The Holy Spirit has kind of caught me up on that a couple times. It said, why haven't you been praying about this? Especially when it comes to somebody else. Have you prayed, all of us probably have somebody we really care about that isn't walking with the Lord. And um, I do, and I pray for him and pray for him and pray for him. And then I take a deep breath and go, oh, man, this is never going to change. And then I kind of forget to be really earnest. (laughs) And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, why aren't you doing that? And so, you know, that's what, Jesus gives us an example in Luke 11, And um, right after he taught them to pray, right after the words deliver from the evil one, starts this verse. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. (laughs) So that's Jesus' example of after deliver me from the evil one (laughs) is be persistent. In Luke 18, 1 to 5, he tells another story. He said, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about man. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, that was written to show us that we're like the woman. The judge isn't God. You can forget about that. We don't have to talk God into giving us anything. We don't have to be like a spoiled child throwing a temper tantrum to convince God to supply what we're asking for. The story is told to be persistent. He's telling us to keep asking. We don't have to wear him down, but he's teaching us persistence in prayer. We need to pray in boldness, and we need to repeat it. The persistence is necessary for our benefit, not God's. He already knows all this. He wants us to ask him, but he wants us to keep asking him. The principle of seeking God, and I like the way the New Living uh, Testament puts it, because he says, translation, he says, to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It doesn't just say ask, seek, knock. It says keep asking, do it again, keep seeking, keep knocking. If you want, if you notice one thing about all of these examples, there's something in common. It requires action from us. We have to be the ones instigating the prayer. We have to ask. It tells us over and over to ask. God's not going to supply our needs if we're not asking him to do that. He's not going to intervene if we aren't going to him with our problem. Now there, um, there are th- reasons that some prayers aren't answered and never will be. I took this kind of out of a couple books by by Spurgeon and Jack Hayford, and so I thought these were good because there's people always come up with some example, you know. The first one is prayers of self-indulgence. James 4, 2, and 3 says, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong, and you only want what will give you pleasure. So I was thinking about that, and I was trying to think of an example and i came up with one so it's probably a silly example but when i was much younger i always thought I wanted to own a ferrari or a lamborghini totally out of the question i knew it then but i always thought that that would be so cool and um, so if i was to enter into my prayer closet and say dear lord give me a ferrari i want a ferrari i can get faster to church if i have a ferrari i can do more ministry if i have a ferrari I'll even put a Jesus bumper sticker on it. You know, it will be just totally, you know, cool. Well, that's not the right motive at all, because all of that is kind of a, I'm trying to camouflage what I really want, and that's just that I want a fast car (laughs) that looks really cool. So, you know, it's probably none of us are praying for a Ferrari, but we all pray for things that are totally selfish, or some of us do. And... (laughs) And sometimes the Lord's saying, well, let's check your motives over here. Why do you want that? You know, why, do you, why are you doing that? And those prayers, that's not going to be answered. And I can prove it because there's no Ferrari in the parking lot. So, but, you know, we, we think about how can I do that? I mean, I could have thought, well, I really want a Ferrari. Oh, let's see. The Lord gave me a house. I could sell it. You know, I have some stocks. I could sell them. I could drain my retirement account. I could buy this Ferrari. It must be God's will. <laughs> well that's me manipulating. So you know that's not that prayer's not going to get answered. The other one is presumptuous attitudes in prayer. And that's Luke 9:51 to 56. It said as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he, went, he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went to another village. Now, I, I laughed when I read that verse because I could see this. I mean, it must be only me. I probably always get these lessons because the Lord's trying to go, look... Because, you know, somebody mistreats us, and we're like, okay, Lord, you know, lightning right now over here, you know. <laughs> and we may not go that far, but sometimes we just, we think, that's not right. That's not fair. I want to get even. So I hate to say, always, I have stories for all these negative things, but when I worked, um, I was I was a manager, and there was only four of us that reported to this one vice president, and one of the other managers, who was my counterpart, Uh, he and I didn't see eye to eye on hardly anything, and he was really not a very nice person. He really wasn't. He was the best word to describe, him. he was fairly sleazy. He was dishonest. I didn't think he treated people right, but he always got away with it. He was just one of those people, you know? And um, we got got kind of into a disagreement one day, and it was over an employee that worked for me but was on loan to him. And I thought that he had not treated her correctly and that basically it was bordered on harassment and I had basically told him that and he countered with with like a scathing little email and I read it just before I was walking out the door and I was really really mad there's no other way to describe it I was so angry that I probably you know those cartoons where steams coming out your ears that was me I was mad it's probably a good thing I didn't read it any sooner I probably would have done something really incredibly stupid. But I got in my car, and I had a 45-minute ride home. And that was a good thing because I spent the first 20 minutes of it complaining to God. We could call it prayer, but it was really more like railing. I was like, this is not fair, Lord. This man is just, he's unjust. He's wrong. I didn't do anything, and you need to take care of this. And I did similar I did that for twenty minutes. And when I finally just went, you need to change this situation, God, you need to change him. You need to give him. And then the Holy Spirit said very very clearly, and I don't say that very often, but very clearly he said, There's only one person I can change in this situation. And I, well, that's not fair. So I spent the next like five or ten minutes telling God how unfair it was because I didn't do anything wrong, and this guy was just over the top. And why did he let him get away with this? And then when I kind of came up for air again, the Holy Spirit repeated it, he said, there's only one person I can change. Are you willing to change? And I thought, oh, wow. And so, you know, I thought about it for a little while, and I finally said, yeah, I'm willing. Change me then. Because I can't stay this angry, so change me. And he did. And he really did. Because the guy didn't change. He was still. But he didn't bother me anymore. I mean, I didn't care about him. He could be a total jerk, and it didn't bother me. About six months after all this, he did, um, he did lose his position for a similar thing, uh, a harassment issue, and he got kind of pushed over to the side it was a big corporation, so they didn't just, like, fire people. They just kind of moved them. But I thought, but, you know, I didn't—I wasn't even thrilled to death that that happened because he really didn't bother me anymore. And that was God. So, you know, a prayer where I'm going to say, okay, Lord, just, you know, let him fall off his office chair and crack his head. I mean, that's <laughs> it's not going to happen, you know. <laughs> so... Prayer offered from a heart that simultaneously calculates disobedience will not be heard. Psalm sixty-six eighteen says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If we're actively sinning, knowing we're sinning, proceeding in our sin, we're fairly presumptuous to pray about something else and, you know, and to keep sinning. The fourth one is mouthing prayer while tolerating unforgiveness toward others blocks our prayer. And we read that in the Lord's Prayer. The one in um, Matthew 6, 11, and 12 says exactly the same thing. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we don't forgive, we kind of block God's ability to really deal in our lives. In 1 Peter 3, 7 it says to tell husbands that if they don't treat their wives as they should, their prayers won't be answered. And I think that that goes a step further than just husbands and wives. The people that God has put in our lives, the people that are close to us, the people that matter to us, that we owe something to, we need to treat right. We need to love them the way Jesus loves them, the way Jesus loves us. Or, you know, our prayers are just kind of there. There. But we're not we're not actively pursuing God. It's not our um, the next the next one one of the famous quotes of Christians is maybe it's not God's will. That's how we write off things when we're through praying for them. Maybe it's not God's will. But you know the one thing that I noticed when I was studying here and that I'd thought about before: it's not our job to determine God's will. It's our job to pray. We discover God's will through prayer. We're not going to know God's will till we pray. We're not going to just go sit in our family room and say, Okay, Lord, show me your will for today. We need to pray. And as you step forward in your prayer, as you bring things to him is when he's going to reveal his will. It's the way it's done. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy, sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I'm going to reread this based on on a a footnote in Jack Hayford's Bible handbook that goes along with his spirit-filled Bible. And he paraphrases it, and he says, I implore you, brothers and sisters, present yourselves before God in a posture of worship, the kind God accepts. It's the only truly intelligent thing you can do. Therein you will find a transforming of your mentality from the world way of thinking to God's new way for you. Therein you will discover the whole counsel of his perfect will as we come to him. And Elizabeth last night came up and read it out of the message. And not to overtax this one scripture, but I'm going to read it out of that too, because I love the way it says it. it says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it even without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's what prayer does, that's what prayer of petition does. As we seek God, as we press in, we change. I was visiting a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and and we have known each other like forever. We were five together in church, and we grew up as friends. And so we've been through all of the things in our lives with each other, either closely or over the phone or visits, but we've always been close. And we were talking kind of about life. It must come with getting older. I don't know. I didn't used to sit around and talk about, you know, what happened before. But I guess so much of now. When you get a little older, so many other things have happened before. It's, you know. But we were talking about life and her kids and my family and what we've been through. And, and um, we got to talking about, about, she's going through some health issues, and we got to talking about health issues and prayer. And um, probably, and I've said this before, about 23 years ago, I went through a cancer treatment for lymphoma. And I went through nine months of chemotherapy. Now, I grew up in church, and I'm from, I have a great heritage of Pentecostal, Bible-believing, pray-for-healing people. And all of those people prayed for me. And my pastors, who are great people of God, prayed for me. My friends, a lot of who were ministers, prayed for me. And I believed in healing. I'd seen people healed. I'd prayed for people, and they were healed. But you know what? I wasn't. (laughs) I wasn't. And I walked through the, the chemo. And every day I prayed. And now the end prayer was, Lord, heal me. But in between, you have all these things that you pray for. So you pray to get through the day. And you pray to get through, you know, what the enemy is telling you in your ear that you aren't going to live, that God isn't going to do it, or he would have already done it. And unfortunately, I had people telling me that kind of too. You know, well, my sister was healed instantly. I don't know what's wrong. You know, but every day you prayed. Every day I sought God every day for different things and as i walked through the nine months and at the end i was healed and it is twenty three years later and so it was god not the chemo i know that but along the process of praying and asking and seeking and knocking and going back and doing it all over again um, you know something happened and my friend asked me she said The person you were before chemotherapy and the person you were after, was it the same person? She says, aside from, you know, the health issues and the hair, and, you know, she says, were you the same person? And I said, no, I wasn't, because God changed me in the middle of all that. Because in praying, in seeking him, in pulling into him with my urgent, humble prayers, God transformed me. He made me something different and that's what petition prayer when you have to hang in there and you have to be persistent god will change you so if we've been praying and asking and knocking and in our view we're no better off what then john 15:7 says if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you want and it will be done to you for you so once again and people love this cuz they go ask whatever you want and you get it. They forget the first part that says if you remain in me, my words remain in you. How are you going to how are his words going to remain in you if you aren't in his word? So, you know, so much of whether of this whole prayer thing is is how we approach it and what we do in the middle of it. If we remain in God and his word is in us, When we pray, God will align what we're asking for with what he wants. It will happen. The verse that says that he gives us the desires of our heart. A friend of mine told me one time when he was praying, the Lord showed him that first God gives you the desire, then he fulfills it. And as you're seeking him, that's what's going to happen. Because it's not in our time. It's never in our time. That or I'm the only impatient person in the room. It's never in my time. And it's often not my way. Because I always figure out the best way for God to answer a prayer. (laughs) And you know, he doesn't do it that way. But we still need to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. And then in the middle of that, we need to anticipate what God will do. Because it will be exciting Because what God does is better than what I figured out he should do. It always is. Because what happens in the middle of all this is what I said before. He often changes us. And then when we pray, we can pray what Jesus prayed. Not what I want, but I want to want what you want. And that's really what petition prayer is all about. So thank you. Oh, you know, I did forget one thing. I'm sorry. See, I can't even remember the same thing twice in day to day. I wanted to read the end of a chapter in Jack Hayford's book, and just because I think it's so good. So he says, and there it is. Prayer can change anything. The impossible doesn't exist. His is the power. Ours is the prayer. Without him, we cannot. Without us, he will not.
1: Thanks. Thank you, Amelie. That was wonderful. And, you know, all of us ladies here today, we are all in petition of something, each one of us. It could be as small as, you know, your child isn't doing well in school and you're frustrated with them or you have a terrible two running around, you know, and you're frustrated. You, it could be with your spouse. It could be your finances. It could be a blethora, a healing of a plethora of things. And what I would like to do, um, and then you guys can go into your, your table leaders will lead your discussion at your table in prayer time. But if each one of you could take a card out of your prayer box and write down on there what you're petitioning the Lord for. It could be anything. One thing, two things. Write down what it is that you're going through. What's bothering you? What are you struggling with? Write it down, fold it up, toss it in your prayer box, and at the end of this whole prayer session, we're going to pull those out, And you're going to take yours. Write your name on the top of it so nobody reads it, okay? Just fold it and write your name on top. And at the very end of our prayer session, I want you guys to pull out those little petitions and see where the Lord has brought you, okay? And I want you to continue to pray about them, too, like Amelie said. And, you know, we are all wise women of God. And I was sharing with you earlier how I was struggling with... um, with anxiety well please devil you know I knew immediately it was fear and it was an old thing that the Lord had helped me with and I immediately knew to take it to my prayer and have been consistently it's been a petition for me because it's a part of who I am of my makeup and where I've come from to pick things up and you know um to uh try and uh, control situations so it causes fear or anxiety if I'm not in control you know many of you know what I'm talking about so (laughs) that's something that the Lord has dealt with me for years probably as a child where I learned it and so it's something I constantly am in prayer for it's made me stronger and wiser and has drawn me closer to the Lord through it and so I want you all to write it down Put it in your prayer prayer box that's on your table, and they are safe. Nobody's going to be reading them, so if it's something that you want is private, don't worry about it. It's just going to stay in that box and put your name on it, okay? And uh, table leaders, you're free to pray, to do whatever you want at your table, discuss, um, and be